0: What's going on guys? Welcome back to the show and what up YouTube? This is the first podcast that I'm going to be posting on YouTube. Just to see how it goes if you guys like to watch like my weird hand motions as I go. This might be fun. Um so let's see how it goes. Today we're talking about RIR. We're going to talk about what is RIR, why do we use it, and the main goal of today's podcast is going to, he- to be to help you guys get better at using or assessing RIR so that you can make your training a little bit more efficient and effective. And then we'll go over some tips and tricks that maybe I've seen or learned after you know teaching people to use RIR for the first time for many, many years. Um, so let's start with what is RIR? RIR is an acronym that stands for Reps in Reserve, and what that means is how many reps you left in the tank at the end of your set compared to what you could have done if you had gone to, let's say, failure. And so what that means is, let's say you're doing a set of dumbbell curls with 15 pounds, and I tell you to go until you can't do any more reps, and you get 10, and on that 10th rep, you cannot do an 11th rep that would be zero RIR or zero reps in reserve. What that means is you left zero reps in the tank. You did as many as you could and you didn't leave anything in the tank. And so RIR attempts to kind of answer this question of how hard should my set be, right? If, if you see that you're supposed to be doing 10, set, 10 reps of bicep curls, you are trying to figure out what weight you're gonna use you also need to know how hard that set should be. It's going to help you. It Should it be an easy set? Should it be a moderately difficult set? Should it be an extremely difficult set? It's going to help you pick the weight. It's going to help you execute what you're supposed to be executing. I feel like it's a fundamental question of like, if you're a newbie, let's say, or somebody new to the gym and you see a program or you're trying to follow something for the first time, you know, you kind of think to yourself, well, how hard is this supposed to be? You put the dumbbells down after doing 10 curls and you're like, well, was that it? Did I do it right? Was it supposed to be harder? Was it supposed to be easier? Should I go to failure all the time? Uh, And so RIR attempts to kind of quantify this, the the answer to this question of how hard should your set be? And even though RIR, because it's very specific, it's like exactly how many reps you left in the tank, right? It seems a little bit of a daunting thing to quantify super accurately, right? It's like how many, you know, I finished a set of 10 and I'm like, how many RIR is that? How many more could you do? You don't, necessarily know exactly. Maybe it was two, maybe it was three. And so it can be a little bit daunting to, to think of RIR in a very specific sense. And that is why I'm making this podcast so that we can get better at assessing and using it without feeling overwhelmed. That's really the reason for this podcast to make sure if you're, if you're using RIR for the first time, or maybe you're not, but you're still learning that you're not feeling overwhelmed. Like it's something that you need to be super specific about. We can use RIR in a bit more of a general sense and then get better as we go, which is something we're gonna discuss more later. But if you were listening to this whole reps and reserve thing and thinking about leaving reps in the tank and you thought to yourself, well, why would I leave any reps in the tank? Why wouldn't I just go to failure all the time? I understand where you're coming from. I mean, it's a makes sense to me that you might think, well, why wouldn't I just do as many reps as I can all the time? Isn't that the best thing I could do? Isn't working harder or better? All of that stuff makes a lot of sense to me. And it's true, I would say that sets taken to failure, PS, when I say the word failure, what I mean is zero RIR for this context. Failure can technically mean some different things depending on context, but for today, we're gonna use the word failure and zero reps in reserve uh, synonymously here. So zero reps in reserve means you could do zero more reps when you ended the set, which means you went all the way to quote technical failure, let's say, or failure. Um, And so I would say that sets to failure cause more growth, been sets of let's say 2 RIR I'd say that that's true but it's only by a little bit what we see in the research is the closer you get to failure the more diminishing the benefits become it's not like a set of 2 RIR and a set of 0 RIR are miles apart in terms of the benefit that they give honestly if you look at the research the bulk of the research is actually going to show that there is basically no difference between 2 RIR and 0 RIR now i think if you look at it with a little bit more nuance and you maybe take into account some of the uh, limitations of some of the research, I think we would lean more heavily on the opinion that there's probably, there's almost certainly something to gain from going closer and all the way to failure, but the benefits are diminishing. And so the answer is like, okay, why don't I go to failure all the time? It's because you don't have to. You don't have to go all the the way to failure to cause growth. And going to failure, while it gives you technically in a binary sense, more benefit, um, it gives exponentially or brings upon exponentially more fatigue per unit, uh, per set, let's say. So like, let's just arbitrarily, just to make a point, let's say you do 10 sets, uh, 10 reps of bicep curls at zero RIR, you will get more benefit than if you had stopped at nine, which would have been a one RIR, but you will be exponentially more fatigued. Now we're talking about bicep curls and chances are it's not fatiguing at all. But this idea that going closer to failure brings more benefit, but also more fatigue, is something that we need to wrestle with within our training. The type of training where you go to failure all the time is likely suboptimal to training that utilizes RIR and has a little bit more of, uh, utilizes failure in in a little bit better way where you're not going to failure 24 seven, right? Failure will give, failure training or zero RIR sets will give you more growth than one or two RIR but they will also give you a lot more fatigue. And so we need to use these zero RAR sets, not sparingly like we never use them, but definitely not all the time if we're looking to make our most optimal gains. Um, Long story short, we don't wanna always go to failure since it's so fatiguing. And we know that you don't have to go all the way to failure to get gains. So if we don't have to go to failure all the time, then we need to quantify how close. Right. If we can agree that we're not that that our best gains probably don't come from going to failure twenty four seven, then we need to figure out a way to quantify how close we're supposed to be. Right. Because if you're not going to failure, then how do I decide when to stop? Right. And the truth is, the research is pretty clear that we're pretty shitty at assessing RIR. If we look at the research and we take people, even some people who have lifted for some time, and they're doing a bench press, let's say, um, you know, I'll butcher these exact numbers here, but let's say they tell the 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 subject in the study to stop when they think they're at, let's say, two RIR. And then when they say, okay, I'm at two RIR, somebody comes in and starts you know, encouraging them and yelling at them and they get like six to 10 more reps. It's really crazy. We are not great at assessing RIR at first. I think that is true, totally. Um, I would also say that the research shows that we are worse at assessing RIR with higher rep sets. So the higher your reps go, it's, it's gonna be harder to assess RIR on a set of 20 than it will be on a set of six to eight or something like that. Um, and that's probably for a number of reasons. I might say that it has something to do with the metabolite buildup and the pain and burn that comes from such a high rep set that maybe that's having people quit a little bit early. Um, also, when you're dealing with so many reps, you know, each rep, I suppose, is less difficult. So let's say you're doing 20 reps Uh, each set is a bit less difficult. And so you might underestimate by a little and that little might be like three or four more reps compared to like a set of six to eight. You know, it's probably easier to know when you're approaching a point where you couldn't do any more. All of that being said, there is also research that says we get better over time, that we get better with practice. And, you know, after all that discussion that we just talked about of not going to failure all the time because you don't need to, that doesn't mean, P.S., that doesn't mean you never go to failure. Um, But after all that discussion, I'm not going to failure all the time. The irony is the best way to get better at assessing RAR is to periodically train to failure. Like the best way for you to know what a two RAR feels like is to know what a zero RAR feels like. Like I would almost go as far as to say, just maybe for like shock value here is like, the best benefit, the most important benefit of failure training might be this constant ability to recalibrate your efforts, right? This, you know, like going to and we're going to talk break this down even a bit more but i would almost say man the biggest benefit of going to failure is being able to calibrate what that feels like so that we can get better at assessing rir now by going to failure failure periodically we get two different kinds of data right again periodically doesn't mean you know uh once in a blue moon but it certainly doesn't mean every single set of every single exercise every single workout So we can talk another time about how much failure training and how to organize that stuff, but just understanding that by going to failure periodically, which means sometimes we're going to get two kind of um, different kinds of data that can be very helpful for us to get better at assessing RIR. The first is subjective data and the other one is objective data. Um, The subjective data that you gain, think about it, when you go to failure, that the, the feeling of what going to zero RIR feels like will help you understand what it feels like to go to one RIR or two RIR or three RIR. I mean, on the way to zero RIR, you're going to pass by one, two, and three RIR. And so you gain experience of what one RIR really feels like, two RIR really feels like. And by going all the way to zero RIR, Right, it's going to help you learn what that feels like, so you can work backwards and assess what you know a few shy of that also feels like, right? And so, if you've never trained to failure, it's going to be really hard to assess what two RIR is, because maybe you've never even been there. And so, if you can periodically train to failure, it's going to be easier for you to reference. Okay, you know that set was failure, that was zero RIR, which means I know what a couple shy of that is going to feel like. Right. And again, research supports this like practice makes improvement mentality with failure training, um, being an important part of, I would say, recalibrating your inner bitch, like, you know, recalibrating what it feels like to actually push hard. Um, if you never trained a failure, it's really difficult for me to, to understand how you would know what two RIR feels like. Right. How do you know what leaving two reps shy in the tank feels like if you don't know what leaving zero reps in the tank feels like, if you've never actually pushed beyond that, right? So that's the subjective data. We we understand what training to failure feels like, and so we can take that feeling and work backwards from it and kind of assess what a couple reps shy of that might feel like. Second kind of data is we get objective data. It's super underutilized here. Like, yeah, listen, subjective data of what failure feels like is super important, so important. But sometimes it's helpful to have something objective to add into the mix. You know, a lot of times if we just rely on our feelings, sometimes that can be a little bit I don't know, whatever. It'd be a little bit less accurate by itself, right? And so when you go to failure, you get objective data of what a zero RIR set really is or what you're capable of in this set at zero RIR. And so you can objectively say what two RIR might be even roughly, right? Let's use an example. Let's say your first week of the program says you're gonna do bicep curls with a two RIR on the first set and then a one RIR on the second set and then a zero RIR on the third set. So the first set, you're like, okay, I'm going to do a two RIR and I'm going to do my best and I'm going to do my best to assess what that's like and you get to 10 and you stopped at 10 because you thought, okay, 10 feels like I have two reps left in the tank and then you rest and you do your second set and you know that's supposed to be a one RIR and so you you know, you know, go to where you think one RIR is and you stop and you, maybe you get 10 again. So on the first set, you, you wanted to get a two RIR and you got 10 and you were like, okay, that feels about right. Second set, you wanted to get a one RIR. You stopped around 10 again because that felt right. In the third set, you know that you have to go to zero RIR or failure. On that set, you get 15. Like, I promise you this happens to clients all the time. Finally, when it's time to go to failure, they realize, shit, I've been sandbagging it for the first couple of sets, right? If you get 15 when you go to zero RIR, then you can use that objective data. That is very clear. You can do 15 reps at zero RIR. And so your set of 10 was not a two RIR, it was more like a five RIR. And so you can, you know, after you do that failure set, you can probably look back and say subjectively based on how that set felt, that you know you weren't at two and one RIR in your prior sets. And so subjectively, I'm sure you can feel that, but it's also helpful to have that objective data. Every time you go to failure, you recalibrate what zero RIR really is. And so if you do 15 reps on your bicep curls at zero RIR, then you can bet next week when you come in and you need to do a two RIR on that first set, you're not gonna do 10, 10 is five less than 15. If 15 is zero RIR, then 10 would be something like a five RIR. So maybe you're going to start closer into that like 12 to 14 range because you have this objective data that says, hey, Johnny, you can do 15 reps. And so if you stop at 10, that's certainly not a two RIR. And so you get this combination of subjective data of what it feels like plus objective data of what you're capable of. And you can mix those together and get closer. Remember, guys, it's not about being so fucking perfect. It's about zooming in on and on average getting closer to where you want to be at a given time in your programming. It's like, on average, we wanna be training close to failure. And so if we can just, over time, gather subjective data of what that feels like, gather objective data of what we're capable of so that we can project expectations into next week. The same person who did 15 reps on their last bicep curl to failure is going to know better where to start next week based on that objective data. And that's really important. It's important to have that objective data to guide you. And one of the many it's one of the many reasons tracking your workouts is so important. The truth is sometimes you won't feel like pushing that hard, right? And knowing that you can really do 15 reps will help you not let yourself off the hook, right? And again, it doesn't need to be so effing perfect, but these periodic failure sets that you might be doing For example, at the end of every exercise, maybe the last set of every exercise to failure is a very common way to prescribe how often we should be using failure. I don't think that that's necessary, like the be all end all of how to use failure, but it is a fine way to do that. And if you do that, take the last set of every exercise to failure, you will be able to tell if your prior sets were close enough. If you do eight reps, then eight reps, then 17 reps, well, you're gonna know that the two sets of eight were kind of bullshit. And so it's important to periodically go to failure so that you can kind of recalibrate this, uh, recalibrate your efforts and make sure that you are close enough to failure to where you'd like to be. It doesn't need to be so effing perfect. If it, if someone's like, hey, it, was this a two RIR or a one RIR? It's not the end of the world. Like, you know, you just want to make sure it's not a six RIR. Um, a lot of times I'll use a two RIR like spectrum, so maybe I'll say, hey, these sets need to be one to two RIR, just to give you a little bit of wiggle room of understanding it doesn't need to be so perfect, Um, but it's about taking this objective data of what you're learning that you're capable of with these failure sets, plus the, did I say subjective or objective? That part's objective, and the subjective data of what that actually feels like, and over time, getting closer to understanding what a two RIR for a certain exercise is and feels like. So a quick summary, and then we're going to talk about some tips, tricks, some, maybe some final notes that can be helpful. What is RIR? RIRs is an acronym, stands for Reps in Reserve. Uh, it, is, it is quantifying how many reps you left in the tank compared to what you could have done if you took a set all the way to failure. It attempts to answer the question of how hard your sets should be. Um, just for context, you could also use something that's called RPE, which is Rating of Perceived Exertion which basically allows for, it's basically RIR, but flipped on its head where you are rating your sets from a one to 10 difficulty scale, a 10 RPE, meaning a 10 out of 10 difficulty would be the same as a zero RIR, which would be zero reps in reserve. And so it's basically just the numbers kind of flipped on their sides. Um, Also a totally fine thing to do. We're not going to talk about which one might be better in what context right now. Um, So why wouldn't you go to failure all the time? Why would we even want to quantify any of this shit? Why don't we just go to failure all the time? Because we don't need to. We don't need to go to failure to make gains. Um, I think we periodically need to go to failure for some physiological benefit, but for also these benefits that we're talking about right now, if you never go to failure, it's very difficult to say that your RIR assessment is gonna be good. You don't really know what that feels like, you don't know objectively what you're capable of. Um, and so we don't go to failure all the time because you don't need to. It is mo- It is probably exponentially more fatiguing than a set of one or two RIR for minimal added benefit. But that doesn't mean we never use it. I don't want to go too deep into this, like when we should use failure. Um, The answer is we should use it not every single set all the time and not never, right? How do you get better at assessing RIR training to failure periodically so that you can gather objective data of what you're actually capable of? You can also gather subjective data of what a zero RIR set feels like so that you can work backwards from that and say, okay, if this is what zero RIR feels like, then you know this is what a two RIR is gonna feel like, right? Or, or I remember in that set when I was two reps before that, I remember what that felt like. Cool. Some tips, tricks, and final notes. Your training will improve. Your training quality over the long term will improve once you're able to even roughly utilize RIR. And for those people who need a reminder to train harder, it will be helpful for those people who are always trashed thinking they need to be going to failure or beyond every single set. This will definitely improve your recovery for likely no downside in gains. Our goal is to train hard. That doesn't mean you train as hard as humanly possible 24 seven, right? So how do we find the balance between hard enough and not as hard as I can 24 well, seven? We have to quantify that somehow and using RIR is a way that we can quantify. And as long as you're going at it with a, you give yourself some grace with how exactly specific it's going to be. You're going to do great because you're going to accomplish, you know, a hard enough set that is stimulative, but potentially not harder than it needs to be in that moment, right? Um, and something I find helpful for people in my group or, or just online coaching clients over the years Sometimes it's helpful to translate the RIR into just like sentences or words. Like if you see a three, two, one RIR, let's let's say you're doing eight to 12 reps of a bicep curl, we'll stick with bicep curls. And it says RIR three, two, one, which means you're doing three sets. First one is a three RIR, second one's a two RIR, last one's a one RIR. And if those numbers fear, feel overwhelming, because you're like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm new to this. I don't really know what a three RIR is. Um, I'm a little bit nervous if I'm going to get this right. If it feels overwhelming, sometimes it's nice to put it into words. If I had to translate what three two one RIR means in words, I would say, hey, your first set should be on the easier side, not super easy, but not super difficult. That's about a three RIR. It should be on the easier side, and the last set will be pretty damn hard but none of them will be to failure. And so you take your first set, you know that it's a three RIR, but you also know, hey, what does a three RIR kind of translate to? Try to kind of translate to, okay, it's kind of hard, but not super hard. It's not taking a lot of a big emotional toll. My rep speed is might slow down on that last one, but not super crazy. And I'm probably not gonna have to put on some crazy emo music to get through this set. You also know that your last set or that none of your sets should be to failure. And so you have this parameter of like, hey, my first set should be hard, but not too hard. And none of these sets are going to be to failure. And if you get that, then I already think you're getting closer to the bullseye. Like sometimes it can feel a little less daunting um, if you have, uh, like if you can translate it into words. Um, If you combine this translation of, of, you know, kind of the RIR into just something that might be more tangible, putting it into a sentence, let's say, if you combine that with any objective data you have from prior weeks, you're going to get super close to the bullseye. Like, and that's where, eh, that's where I get to the last point that I want to make, potentially the most important point here is sometimes I would say, how would I put this here? It's I, I oftentimes or many times, I want people to focus more on progression than on RIR every single week. Now, an example of how I might structure a mesocycle using RIR would be, hey, in week one, let's say you do it Three, two, one, RIR, right? And I think in that first week, it's important to try and get that as as correct as you possibly can. How close to nailing this three, two, one can I get? I do think in that first week, setting yourself up in the first week of a cycle with the RIR as close as you can to what's prescribed by your coach is very important. However, I've been doing this for a decade. I've been using RIR for a long time. And I will tell you, I don't use, I don't look at the RIR every single time I'm in the gym. Because what I know is if I start my mesocycle where I'm supposed to, which is to say not too hard, hard but not too hard, that I can just focus on doing a little bit more each week when I come in, whether that's adding a tiny bit of load or adding a rep to, you know, at least one set somewhere. And so what I tell my clients and what I tell the people in my group programming is like, hey, in week one, really focus on taking the objective data from what you know about what you can do on, let's say, a glute bridge, You know, you've been doing glute bridges for months, and so you have a good idea of what you can do for glute bridges. So let's really try hard to nail the RIR in week one. Let's say it's a three, two, one. Once you nail that RIR, you come in week two, you don't necessarily need to look at the RIR that I'm giving you. What you need to do is you need to progress. You need to progress somewhere. And so that doesn't mean you never look at RIR again. But what I want to tell you guys is like if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you have a program and every week there's a new RIR, every week the RIR changes, maybe just not disregarding it entirely, but disregarding it in lieu of focusing more on doing something more than last time. And so RIR is cool, right? It's it's important to to be able to quantify how close we are to failure so that we're not going all the way to failure all the time. And also so we're not bitching out all the time, right? We want to be in an adequately stimulative place, not failure all the time and not so far from failure that it's not stimulative. But once you nail that in week one, and maybe I'll do another podcast on structuring this, structuring a mesocycle and progressing RIR across mesocycle. But man, if you do a 3 2, one RIR as best you can in week one, when I say as best you can, I mean, it doesn't need to be perfect. I mean, as best you can. If you do that in week one, and then you never looked at the RIR ever again, but every week after that you tried to progress, you'd be pretty damn close to optimal. I mean, that's that's more of what I would want people to focus on. That is, in my opinion, where more of your brain power should be going. Now, I still do, like. then why make this whole podcast about getting better at RIR? Because in that first week, it is important to understand that you don't want to blow your load right out of the gate and train all the way to failure in that first week, and you also don't want to be 5, 6, seven RIR in that first week because that's way too easy. You want to get into this place where training is hard but not too hard and you leave yourself room to progress after that. So I, I'll tell you in my programming, my every single workout that I have, every exercise for every week has an RIR. But after that first week, I'm not being so neurotic about that. I am more so looking at what I accomplished in a prior week and I'm trying to progress on it a little bit with little micro progressions, a pound here, two and a half pounds on each side here, an extra rep here. Um, and I think that is more heavily where I want people to to emphasize their week to week brain power or putting their brain power. It's like if you can nail the RIR early on in the, in the mesocycle and then just focus on progression from there, you're gonna do really, really well. And so if you are out there and you're feeling overwhelmed with RIR, Just know that going to failure is your, or periodically going to failure is your best bet for learning what it feels like to do a one or two RIR, but also getting objective data of what you're capable of so that you can set expectations for what a two RIR might be next week. But also once you get relatively close to where you're supposed to be, you can probably uh, rearrange the hierarchy here and focus a little bit more on progressing week to week. And, and it seems like I'd like to make another podcast on that topic because I do think that that's something that's important. Um, I want my clients to start their mesocycle close but not too close to failure. After that, I want them to focus on doing a little bit more each week. If they can do that while also just keeping a gentle eye on the RIR, that's cool, but that might be that combination of using, you know, progressing week to week, plus taking a look at the RIR, that might be a bit more of an advanced kind of hybrid. Um, but I absolutely think that getting close or getting close to being able to assess RIR fairly decently is important. And then progressing week to week, I'd say is more important. All right, I'm gonna stop rambling right now. All right, thanks for watching. If you're here on YouTube, welcome. We're gonna be putting up a lot more episodes on YouTube. Um, if you're not watching then you missed a whole lot of really good hand gestures and I'll see you guys in the next episode thanks for tuning in to this episode of where optimal meets practical if you liked the episode it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five star review on iTunes that stuff really helps if you ever want to get in touch with me just shoot me a DM on Instagram at Jordan Lips Fitness I'm always around to chat thanks guys have a good one